from Stanford University and KZSU. This is the Stanford Storytelling Project. When I'm having a really bad day, I try to make myself like a really good lunch. I'll be like, at least I'm having lunch. At least I'm having this really great lunch, and then today will be fine. Since the Middle Ages, we've been celebrating February 14th as St. Valentine's Day. No one is completely certain how it started. We just know that the original St. Valentine was a martyred priest in Rome. It was only in the Middle Ages that St. Valentine's Day became a holiday for romantic love. Chaucer wrote about it in his Parliament of Fools in 1382. For this was on St. Valentine's Day when every bird cometh there to choose his mate. And of course, we've filled in all the fluffy details ever since. Some say that Valentine was a priest who married lovers in secret, at a time when it was forbidden by the Roman Emperor Claudius II, who believed that married men did not make for good soldiers. Others say that when he was in prison, he sent a love note to a prison keeper's daughter, signed, Your Valentine. And whether or not these stories are true, they're woven into the fabric of a tradition. Nowadays, we send each other poems, notes, flowers, or lovegrams like this one. I'll be your dream, I'll be your wish, I'll be your fantasy. I'll be your hope, I'll be your love, be everything that you need. I'll love you more with every breath you leave and lead deeply do. I will be strong, I will be faithful, cause I'm counting. This is Stanford Storytelling Project on KZSU Stanford, and I'm your host, Rachel Hamburg. This week's show is about love. Last week, we braved the speeding bikers in White Plaza and set up a booth with a microphone to ask people about their experiences in love. Bonnie Swift shares their stories. Who do you love? My husband. That's a very easy question. When did you know exactly? When did I know exactly that I loved him? And how did you know? I don't know. It was just something I knew. I knew it very early on in the relationship, but I didn't tell him right away. I let him tell me first. Because, you know, that's how you scare a guy off if you don't. <laughs> At least that's what my mother always told me. <laughs> Good night, sweetheart. Well, it's time to go. Good night, sweetheart. Well, it's time to go. I hate to leave you, but I really must say, oh, goodnight, sweetheart. Everybody has a love story. At least, that's what we were thinking when we decided to set up a little red recording booth on White Plaza last week. The Love Shack was a little old place where you could step inside and answer our three questions. Who do you love? When exactly did you know that you love them? And how did you know? A lot of people did come into our booth, and all with their unique love tales to tell. We heard every genre of story from the most classic to the most bizarre. You'd be surprised what some people love. But I'll let these tellers explain themselves. We'll start with the most basic and personal sort of love. Some enchanted evening You may see a stranger You may see a stranger What's your name? My name is Sierra. 
Uh, who do you love? Myself. And when did you know that, exactly? When I became a feminist. And how did you know? How did I know? How did you know? Mm, the fact that I found worth in a lot of myself. Who do I love? I don't know if I want to talk about who I love, but I really love trees, and I really like colors, and a day like this is my favorite things. And I love to smoke marijuana on days like this, because it's a perfect time to be high. <laughs> and I love that you're doing this. This is so cute. Stanford really isn't like a place that would be so inclined to talk about such a thing, I feel. My name is Michelle Sutherland. I love myself. Oh, I know, because it feels good. I feel good. Okay, so, can I read this now? Okay, great. Um, now, me and myself have always been in a relationship together. And, you know, obviously I couldn't really help myself, which isn't to say that what we had going was love. It wasn't. I don't know if it was the inverse of that, if it was hate, but whatever it was, it hurt too much to be called love. Maybe it was the TV or the magazines or whatever it is that tells women they aren't good enough. But, I don't know, maybe I have father issues. But then something happened. I started eating healthy and being nice to myself and exercising. But, no, that couldn't have been it because then that would be playing into the whole magazine and television culture, which is exactly what I don't want to do. But something did happen. And I don't know what it was. Just something, like a pop or a snap. Like that love at first sight feeling. And then I was in love with myself, and it was hot. There are many sorts of love, and not all of them are romantic. A lot of people associate unconditional love with the bond of family. I love a lot of people, probably more people than I could list. One of the people I probably love the most is my sister, and I always knew that I loved her, even though sometimes I knew that I hated her too. I remember we had a conversation once about, like, if she, um, I told her if she killed herself, I'd have to kill myself, too, when she was going through this hard time, and, um, and she just made me promise I wouldn't, but that was a really hard thing to promise. Um, I love a lot of my friends, my friends from home and my friends from school, from Stanford, and... It takes a while to know when you really love your friends, I feel like. Because there are lots of stages, especially with girls, there are lots of stages where girls are like, love ya, bye, and that always kind of bothers me. Because I'm like, no you don't, you don't really even know me. <laughs> so it takes a while, but I think, I don't know, it's hard to describe when you really know. Um, that's excellent. You can also say things you love, like uh, cacti. Things. Oh, cacti. I like succulents, I do. <laughs> and I actually, I really do, actually. I'm from Albuquerque, and we have a lot of cacti. And now when I see them, they remind me of home. So I do love cacti. And I love... I love, um... I love a lot of different types of food. I love mealtime, probably. Like, I really look forward to mealtime and try to make it a really... Like, when I'm having a really bad day, I try to make myself, like, a really good lunch. I'll be like, at least I'm having lunch. At least I'm having this really great lunch, and then today will be fine. Succulents, I didn't know I loved until I moved away from them. So we had so many in New Mexico, and then I come here, and whenever I see one, which is infrequently, you know, Trader Joe's sometimes has them, which I bought, I bought like three for my room from Trader Joe's. When I saw them, then I knew I loved them, because I knew how much I missed them. Do you have a love story you could tell us for the radio show? 
Hi. Hi, do you have a moment to tell a love story for us? Hi, uh, my name is Srikar Prasad. Who do I love? I love a lot of people, actually, but I gotta say, right now, I love my brother a lot. Um, he is here with me, but uh, yeah, we're very, very close. We got really close this past week, I would say, because um, we had to hang out sort of in a dorm room with my other brother, and it's been it's been a good bonding session, I gotta say. He, yeah, we're both just visiting, actually. Um, so I'm from Philadelphia, and he's from New York, and so we came over here to visit one of my brothers who's in Stanford as well. Um, but yeah, we sort of, we're visiting him. He lives in a dorm, which is a pretty small space, and we're around each other a lot. And so at first we got on each other's nerves, but right now I think we're in pretty good, pretty good shape. So, yeah. I knew I loved him the moment when we got into a fight and he was the first person to apologize, which uh, I know is very hard for him to do, to say sorry, but uh, I think he did it more because it was important to him to, you know, to apologize and bring us closer together and stuff because it, it kind of sucks getting into a fight. So, yeah, I think that's probably when, that's probably when I felt it a lot most recently. How did I know that, that I, I mean, it helps that we share blood, <laughs> so, so that's one thing, but uh, how do I know that I loved him? Um, he's just, he's a guy that I respect a lot, you know, and he has a lot of really good qualities, um, and I, you know, I try and learn a lot from him and stuff, um, in terms of like, he's very generous, very quick to give, give uh, compliments and, and make somebody feel like they've really accomplished something. Um, very quick to give support and give his energy and give his time to things and stuff. I think I take that for granted a lot and after I went to college and sort of got away from it and was around friends who don't quite care as much, um, it's something that I sort of recognize a lot more heartily nowadays. So, yeah. Uh, my name is Vincent. Uh, I think uh, the most people I loved uh, is my father and mother and sister. Yeah. Uh, since I was a little boy, I know I must love them very, very much. Uh, because I think uh, uh, they love me too, and I love love them too. I think uh, uh, my father and uh, my mother's love is very precious and uh, uh, that love is very natural and uh, I was born with the love of them. Yeah. Oh, I think uh, uh, the most thing I loved is the traveling and uh, and uh, study English uh, because I think uh, uh, nowadays English is widely used uh, all over the world. If you want to go traveling around the world, you must uh, speak English very well. So I try my best to study it again, uh, study it very well. Although I have no friend around me, uh, I, I, English is one of my friends. <laughs> I study it very hard. The mo uh, I was always told by my English teacher that say the more you practice your English, the fluently you will be, you will become. <laughs> so I always follow his advice and speak my English uh, 
Yeah, speak my English. At least it's not windy today. Yeah. That was really windy yesterday. I thought I was afraid it was going to blow over. Yeah. I love my friends and my family. Yeah. When did you know that you loved them? Oh, you know what? Just because I just moved here half a year ago. So I didn't really realize how important they are in my life. So, um, actually, first quarter, I was just here. I feel like I was excited about everything. But after like two months, I feel like lonely. So I miss my families a lot. And uh, I miss my old friends because I feel like the people here are really busy and they don't really care about you. So I miss my college friends. I'm here for graduate study. Um, when I'm here, sometimes I need help or I feel very lonely, but actually no one is reachable. So I feel like the older time is, was so great. People are always around my friends. I didn't realize how important friendship is because it's so easy to get. So I didn't realize how important that is. And uh, when I call my old friends, they're always very excited about my calling because it's from America, so they, they love it. Yeah, actually they are, they are happy me because they were happy me get out of my loneliness. Something like that. In English, we only have one word for love, but that word can mean such a broad range of things. There is romantic love, and we will get to that, but there are also many types of platonic love love for a close friend, or religious love, or even love of love itself. Clea. Clea Alsip. <laughs> I love my girlfriends. I don't, I'm not in a relationship currently. But my girlfriends, I have four of them that are incredible, are the loves of my life. I knew that I loved them from the moment I met them, my freshman year. And they've been my best friends all four years here. I knew... Just because you know these things, you click with people, and I clicked with all of them, and especially over the last four years, you know, love grows stronger and deeper. So by now, I really know. My senior year, I know. They're the loves of my college life. <laughs> love forever? <laughs> yes, love forever, for sure, in the, in the friendship kind of way. My name is Christina Ho. I love my family, I love my friends, I love Jesus. <laughs> Choose one. Okay. Um, Jesus. Alright. When did you know exactly that you love Jesus? Um, gosh, I feel like, I feel like I've, ever since I've like had conscious thoughts, I have loved Jesus in some form or another. How did I know? How did I know? Um, you know what, I feel like since I grew up in a Christian home, it's um, something that I was like, that was like sort of like expected a given. Um, so I guess like when I really knew is um, maybe starting in middle school, um, when I really had to like start thinking about it myself. And um, for lack of a better way to explain it, um, when I started like experiencing God and, and like, 
feeling like I could talk to him in an intimate way and being able to listen to his voice. Um, I love a lot of people. I love my mother and I love my father. I love Margaret. I love myself a lot, but a lot of times I'm angry at myself. But I know that when I felt it, it was beautiful. It was this... I, I remember the spring, and it was like a late spring for me. I just saw this movie that's called Late Spring, and I am starting to realize that like a lot of the way I've loved hasn't been completely right, but it's come from the heart. And that's where like I, I want to be open and open that heart and that love. But for a little while, I've been closed because I've thought that that's how I could love, that by closing myself down. But that isn't it. I love you. I love me. I love him. I love her. Outside of this box, inside of this box, there's a little opening, and we can squeeze through that little thing and try to find it. When did I love? It was the middle of senior year that I started to find it and that I began to lose it at that same time because I saw when the impending doom was coming I saw that I was leaving but I still was willing to love and of course on Valentine's Day we think of the lovers these are stories about when couples first knew that they were in love. Time to go. Okay, I can try. Alright, let's do this. Good night, sweetheart. Well, it's time to go. Good night, sweetheart. Well, it's time to go. I hate to leave you, but I really must say, oh, good night, sweetheart. Good night. Could you say first tell me your name? Jocelyn. And uh, Jocelyn, can you tell me who do you love? I I love my boyfriend. Um, I knew uh, when. Um, oh, oh gosh, how am I gonna tell you all this? Um, I knew. I don't know when exactly I knew. It sort of came upon me gradually. Um. Um, well, at the airport when he was leaving to go back, because he's from Minnesota, and, um, that's, that's, I guess that's when I realized it, yeah. Um, I just knew it, you know? I'm probably not very helpful. <laughs> um, hmm, yeah, I don't know how I knew. I just had a feeling, you know? Yeah. Maybe I should tell you about something else, like a puppy that I love. <laughs> yeah, I, I have a puppy um, at home. <laughs> um, you know, as soon as I saw her, she was so adorable, and she made me so happy that I laughed out loud. And I, I laughed out loud, like, all the way home with her, because she was so adorable and endearing. And, um... I, I just knew for sure. <laughs> oh, I did not. So in San Francisco, you don't. So, um. Hello, my name is Jasmine Ahrens. <clears throat> I love Joshua Day. 
<laughs> Joshua Day was my first love. I knew that I loved Josh Day, who was, uh, let's just say he was a few years older than me. He was in my theater company when I was in high school. Uh, very clever and hilarious, sarcastic boy, very talented theater director. I knew I loved him when I first saw his one act that he directed. <clears throat> it was one of the most phenomenally creative things I've ever seen. There was like layer, like physical layers everywhere and I just I watched it and I'm like god how can a, how can a person be this intelligent with art and with with design he was also very attractive <laughs> and I knew I loved him when we went up to this hill with a bunch of you know drama kids who were in high school who all brought their guitars and drums and like marijuana and stuff in Marin County and we sort of left the pack and we had been talking about We'd been discussing philosophy all night long, all these like long questions and silly jokes. And we were lying on our back on this grassy hill. Some of our high school friends were uh, you know, playing music in the background and we were watching the stars. And I just remember thinking like, I would like to lie here next to you forever in the grass. Unfortunately, <laughs> we were both too <laughs> naive about love at the time, so really make it work out <clears throat> but I still think of him <laughs> and I wrote him a love letter the other day <laughs> out of the blue because I figured you know I'm never gonna see this man again so why not <laughs> did you send it oh uh, you know yeah <laughs> I did um, I sent it to him via like one of those four in the morning emails just because he had found me on MySpace or something and added me as a friend so I thought that it would be an interesting time to just check in about how our lives had gone over the last four years. He's uh, in New York now. He's acting and doing theater. Of course, um, he's really living the life, something that I, I wonder I wonder how my life would be different if I had also gone there. Anyways, he's really special, so I'll always love him, and I hope that even though I might not see him ever again, I hope that he's making really beautiful and poignant things over there on the East Coast. Hi. Do you have a love story you would like to share with us, please? No. Do you love anyone? Do you love anyone? You can tell us about that. It's kind of, well, I'm trying to think. It's more that we had a funny story than anything about how we met. So we met at a women's networking event, which is not where you usually meet a guy. And he's not my type, so I wasn't interested in dating him, but he seemed like a really very interesting guy working at NASA and a whole bunch of other things. So we had dinner and we started like becoming friends. You know, we take walks and do stuff like that but I wasn't thinking about dating and it's a long story how that changed but I started dating in May so he started dating in February and I started dating in May which he also will tell you um, as he says I was a little slow on the uptake he says I don't know what you were doing but I was dating but I wasn't and um, somehow I suddenly realized that physically he wasn't my type but he was a perfect match in every other way I was happier with him than without and I'd been alone for a long time, so it wasn't like I needed anybody, but all of a sudden it was like, somehow, we made each other laugh a lot. Good night, sweetheart, well, it's time to go.
Good night, sweetheart. Well, it's time to go. I hate to leave you, but I really must say, oh, good night, sweetheart. Good night. My name is Manjula. Well, I love Ken. Ken is my husband. I met here at Stanford 40 years ago, and about that was our first Valentine's Day, 1968. I was right here in this this area. <laughs> but it was our first first Valentine's Day on Stanford campus, and he came from Australia, and I came from India, and we met at Stanford. In, and we started to go out uh, a couple of weeks before, but that was, and that love has stayed, and I still love it, <laughs> and love him more than ever, so very special. I knew I loved Ken when I first met him, and I knew he was the man, and uh, we were engaged within six weeks and married within six months and we've lived together for 40 years. Uh, it's a soulmate story. Just I saw him and there was something that clicked and uh, all the uh, differences went away and it was just we were one. So that's it. <laughs> What's your name? Maria. Maria, who do you love? I love Anand. I knew last year we went on a walk. He took me to a gazebo and we ran through the sprinklers. I knew because when I put my hand out, he took it. Because I love you so. Good night, sweetheart. Well, it's time to go. Good night, sweetheart. Well, it's time to go. I hate to leave you, but I really must say, oh, good night, sweetheart. Good night. It's Christine. Christine, uh, who do you love? My husband. That's a very easy question. When did you know exactly? When did I know exactly that I loved him? And how did you know? I don't know, it was just something I knew. I knew it very early on in the relationship, but I didn't tell him right away. I let him tell me first. Because, you know, that's how you scare a guy off if you don't. <laughs> At least that's what my mother always told me. <laughs> I just had a gut instinct, you know. I, I didn't, I don't know, it just sounds corny. I just didn't, I... I just had this gut instinct. It was like, um, I don't know, he was just, it was like he was always there. It, it, this feeling that he had always been there. Oh, okay, it's you. Plus there were some other signs there. Before we actually got together, we met once before and we came within four times of meeting, uh, came within minutes of meeting four other times in between the time we first met and the time we actually got together. So somebody upstairs was trying to get us together, I think. We were on a, a plane going to Cleveland uh, for his family reunion, and the pilot was in the middle of the spiel about, you know, how high, how far, what the weather's like on the other side. And all of a sudden, in the middle of all this, he says, uh, Christine, oh, I may as well just say my name, hell. <laughs> he says, Christine Delormier, and I thought, I'm like, 
wait, that's me. Why is the pilot saying my name? And he says, Jimmy Dorkin wants to know if you'll marry him. All right, and in the middle of the plane, I'm yelling, oh my God, you know, leaving no mistake who Christine Delormier is. And then um, he said, I looked at him and he said, I guess I should ask you myself. And he got down on one knee in the aisle and he asked me to marry him. And I said yes, like a hundred times. Well, right before I said yes, the pilot came back on and he said, well, the flight crew's waiting for an answer. <laughs> and I said yes, and he gave, my husband gave the thumbs up to the flight attendant he was in cahoots with. This was obviously all before September 11th. And uh, she called the front, the cockpit, and he announced, she said yes. And everybody applauded and we had champagne and the pilot came out and shook our hands. And how do you say no to that? That's romantic, man. Good night, sweetheart. Well, it's time to go. I hate to leave you, but I really must say, oh, good night, sweetheart. Good night. And finally, somebody who claimed that he didn't love anybody at all, but quickly changed his mind. For the Stanford Storytelling Project, I'm Bonnie Swift. Can explain it, who can tell you why? Fools give you reasons, wise men never try. My name is Ryan. I don't love anyone right now. Yeah, I don't really have a crush on anyone. What else do you love? I'd love to get an internship for the summer. You'd love to get an internship? Yes. Okay, when did you know exactly that you wanted to get an internship? Yes. When I realized that I needed a job after graduation, it's, it's good. It's a good thing to have. How did I know? Um, I don't know. My parents kept asking me what I was going to do after I graduated. I told them I wanted to hang around the house, and they said, "That's not a good idea." Do I love hanging around the house? No, I love getting a job. <laughs> uh, sorry, I could not think of anything. Like. Who am I supposed to say? Like an actual person? <laughs> oh, let me, let me, can I do this over? What do you love? Hi, I'm Ryan, and I love all the beautiful girls out there at Stanford. I knew the moment I walked on Stanford campus, freshman year. How did I know? How do you not know? Look at every, look at all the girls that are just so intellectually gifted and aesthetically pleasing. Right. And how would these women contact you if they were interested in a date? They can... They can call me. My phone number is 209-430-5031. Alright, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> when you find your true love, when you feel her call you across a crowded room, then fly to her side and make her your own. to all the people in White Plaza who shared their stories with us, and to Maxine, Michelle, Derry, Madeline, Allison, Jose, and Michael of the a cappella singing group Side by Side for their lovely singing. These stories remind us that there are many different kinds of love, and many different ways of being in love. And who can we turn to in the throes of such a love? Who can speak for all of us? 
Who understands us better than Shakespeare, Pablo Neruda, Elizabeth Browning, Philip Spencer, or Elizabeth Bradfield, a Wallace Stegner fellow here at Stanford who described one woman's harrowing journey of love. There's a woman now swimming the English Channel or the Bering Sea or across some other impossible water between unimportant shores, miles of it. She sips from cups extended over the waves on a pole. She cannot hear voices and measures time in breaths. I'd love to see her entering the water, capped and suited, greased for the psychological edge of speed and warmth and to save her skin from the pickling brine. I'd love to see her stumbling out on the other shore, knees unused to weight, buckling. Of course this is how I see love, something of endurance and unreasonable calm, harder to attempt once you've known the numbing tiredness, the unrelenting salt, the safe boat unable to gather you up if you want the miles to count for anything, and you wade in anyway. To see the beauty in the world through my own eyes Since you've gone and left me There's been so little beauty But I know I saw it clearly through your eyes But does our generation really identify with the love poets? These days, we do less lying around in the fields and more socializing on the internet. So is this kind of romantic poetry really appropriate for our modern dating scene? Christina Ho, Danielle Spohr, and Lily Kornbluth had just the same question. A couple months ago, I found out that both my dad and my brother had profiles on Match.com, a popular online dating website. I was shocked. I'd always seen online dating as something creepy, a last resort for people who were desperate or socially awkward. What were my dad and brother doing, getting themselves involved with those people? I sat down and talked to my dad about this, and started by asking, how long had this been going on? My name is Bob. I'm Danielle's dad. And I tried internet dating probably about a year ago. How many dates have you gone on? I would say probably 15. From Match.com? Mm-hmm. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> probably. I, you know, that's, that's about right. A quick Google search for online dating statistics revealed that, although they're single, my dad and brother aren't alone. In December 2006, over 20 million U.S. Internet users visited online dating websites. Researchers predict that by the year 2011, the U.S. online dating market will be grossing $932 million. Still, I just couldn't shake the idea that online dating was not something normal people did. To make sure I wasn't the only one who felt this way, I brought up the topic during a late-night conversation with my friends Lily and Christina. 
We all agreed. Internet dating was creepy, and something we would never do. I hope I never get desperate enough to start searching on the internet. The internet dating is kind of creepy. Like, or like, it's, it's kind of like, like, you know, like a last resort thing. Yeah. yeah. But it wasn't just the three of us. The next day, Lily decided to interview some random students around the Stanford University campus to find out their views on online dating. We want to know, what are your thoughts on online dating? It's very creepy. That's, that's a little sketchy. Yeah, I think it's a little creepy. I just think it's sketchy, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> this is where things became confusing. It seemed like everyone around us was weirded out by online dating. But as statistics show, a lot of people are using it. My own dad and brother are proof of this. What Lily, Christina, and I couldn't figure out was, if online dating is so creepy, why do so many people use it? We decided that the only way to figure this out was to embark on an exploration of online dating. I'm Danielle, and I decided to talk to my dad and brother about the steps of online dating. Hi, I'm Christina. I decided to look at online dating from a scientific perspective by interviewing sociologists Michael Rosenfeld and Paula England, and by doing some research into the science of love and attraction. And I'm Lily. While Danielle talked to her dad and brother, and Christina talked to the experts, I went in search of everyday people's opinions by interviewing people around the Stanford University campus. We started our search by taking a trip to my brother's apartment in San Francisco. We wanted to find out, how is online dating different from face-to-face -face dating, what we might call normal dating? My brother took me through the steps of online dating, one by one. So what do you want to see? You want to see my, you want to read my portrait? Yeah. Step one in online dating is to set up a profile and write a short bio for yourself. I'm a 31-year-old man, San Francisco, California, seeking women 18 to 40 within 40 miles of San Francisco. I was pretty put off by this step. You answer all sorts of detailed questions about yourself, but there's nothing to stop you from, well, massaging the truth a little. Kind of like my brother did. And then relationships, never married, have kids, none, want kids, not sure. That's, uh, that might be a, a lie, because I'm pretty sure I don't want kids, but that could also be a deal breaker with uh, most, most women at least are considering kids, so I don't wanna, I don't wanna say that I don't want kids. Um, and then I'm white, Caucasian, athletic and toned, which uh, sometimes I am. And I put that I'm a social drinker, maybe one or two. I don't want to sound like an al alcoholic, but, I'll, I mean, who drinks one or two drinks? With just a few strikes of the keyboard, people can change their image completely. Creeped out yet? <laughs> Step two is to post a picture. Apparently, this is one of the most important steps. After all, your picture is what leads people to either click on you or ignore your profile. But pictures can be deceiving. 
What's to stop you from uploading a picture of yourself from 15 years ago? My dad commented on this. I think everybody obviously tries to put the best picture they've ever taken in their life on there. Sasha, my brother, talks about how he really thought through each of his photo choices. I have an action photo of me with a dirt bike. I'm working on a dirt bike here. That says I'm an adventurous person who likes the outdoors. Talking to Sasha, I saw that one reason I felt uncomfortable with online dating is because it seems so premeditated. People obviously put a lot of thought into their pictures, and it seemed superficial. But bios and pictures weren't the only things that bothered me, Lily, and Christina. A couple days later, Christina realized that there was another important aspect missing from online dating. It happened when Lily told Christina about spontaneously meeting a potential love interest at the library. So I met him at the law library when I was studying, and he was sitting next to this guy I know, and we were talking, and then he came over, and like immediately I saw him, and I was like, this guy's really cool, I need to go talk to him. Like I just saw him, and I knew it. And then I was talking to him, and like after 30 seconds, I was like, this guy is really cool. When I heard Lily's story, I could completely relate to that feeling. That flutter in your stomach when you meet someone that you know is special. I realized that the physical chemistry that happens in person is an important part of romantic attraction. And it's not just a girl thing. Danielle's dad and brother mentioned chemistry, too. I can tell right away if I'm attracted to a girl or not. In the first five minutes, I know whether these, this is someone that I want to spend any time with at all. Apparently, chemistry is both integral and instantaneous. I did some research on why people are attracted to each other and found some interesting information. Several studies have shown that when we meet someone in person, we can smell their unique pheromones. Pheromones are chemicals excreted from the body, picked up by our noses, and processed subconsciously. The evidence is controversial, but many scientists believe that each person's unique pheromones have the ability to attract us or turn us off. This could mean that a large part of how we judge someone is based on things that can only happen in person, like smelling them. Obviously, you can't smell someone over the internet. That means that there are certain things the internet can't provide, like the subconscious reasons for chemistry. So far, everything we'd learned about online dating made it seem like a bad idea. The room left for deception, the carefully planned pictures, and the lack of a face-to-face -face first impression seemed to be three strikes against online dating. But there was one fact we couldn't ignore. Thousands of people have found success through online dating. This fact became even clearer to us when Lily told us about her discovery in the university bookstore. One rainy day on the Stanford campus, I couldn't get it out of my head that so many people seemed to have success with online dating. I decided to take my tape recorder into the Stanford University bookstore, where I could get a few people's opinions about online dating, people who weren't necessarily from Stanford. I walked in through the automatic doors and began looking for potential interviewees among the rows of shining cookbooks and stacks of paperback bestsellers. Imagine my shock when the first three people I interviewed told me they were currently in relationships which had started through online dating. The question is pretty simple. Uh, so what are your views on online dating? 
Oh, I have... You're the perfect person for this question. <laughs> I, have, I have very, very strong positive views because this is my boyfriend, Andras, right here, who Hello. I met six months ago. On yeah, online dating. Match.com? Wow. Meet Estella and Andrash, the first two people I encountered in the bookstore. After getting over their own weird feelings about online dating, they both decided to try it. They met and haven't looked back since. Perfect. So it works. <laughs> but it didn't stop there. The very next person I talked to was Ken, a 27-year-old tourist from Taiwan. What is your opinion of online dating? That's great. I love it. Yeah, actually, I'm married, and my wife, I met my wife online. Because they met each other online, Estella and Andrash, and Ken and his wife, didn't have the benefit of physical chemistry to guide their first impressions of one another. But online dating did provide them with a different kind of chemistry, mental chemistry. These two couples showed me that attraction between two minds, two writing styles, Two profiles that both put fine French cuisine as their number one interest can lead to the start of a relationship. And online dating provides users with the opportunity to find those like-minded individuals, in some cases much more easily than in real life. Professor Michael Rosenfeld, a sociologist at Stanford who is currently studying how couples meet, elaborates on this. It does enable you to find something different than you can find in your immediate environs. And for some people, that's very important. Not everybody's in a workplace that has what they want in terms of potential partners. So I think for a lot of folks, or people who are in a rural place, or people who are just looking for something different, the internet is actually a sort of brilliant innovation in terms of finding what you're looking for. And Paula England, another Stanford sociology professor, adds that online dating is also a very efficient way of meeting new people. If I just go to some party, you know, you may be talking to people around a wine table or something and you don't even know if they're single or not unless you notice that they're wearing a wedding ring. You don't know if people are interested in a partner much less you know interested in you whereas there so that's part of the efficiency of it you know everybody's sort of interested in some kind of partnering this is a really convenient way of avoiding that awkward question so are you a uh, single true you have lots of access to important information online and meeting these successful online daters in the bookstore reminded us that there's still a huge pool of honest people out there able to find love online despite the opportunity for deception. So after all this research, we realized we shouldn't be so negative towards online dating. We haven't really found a good logical argument against it. Clearly, there are advantages and disadvantages to both online dating and face-to-face -face dating. In either case, people do fall in love. And yet, I still hope that I meet my future husband without having to search for him online. Online dating just seems so unromantic. Yeah, I would use online dating if I had to, but I'm still hoping that I'll meet a guy spontaneously, in person. So here's the next question. After seeing how well online dating has worked for Estella, Andrash, Ken, and others, why do we still feel like it's less than ideal? This time, the promising answers seem to lie in looking into the past.
sitting on the couch with your siblings as a kid and having the babysitter put in Snow White for the hundredth time? What about Sleeping Beauty or Cinderella or any other story where Prince Charming sweeps the princess off her feet and gallops her away into happily ever after? Again, this isn't just directed toward women. Men, even if you claim you didn't relish these movies, you've definitely heard of them. And you most likely would be able to make up your own story according to the fairy tale formula because you know it so well. The bottom line is that these stories pound into our heads that true love is a product of chance. Prince Charming finds Snow White by accident, not on Match.com. My dad mentioned this when he talked about meeting my mom. He says that meeting someone spontaneously, like how he met her, is the ideal. We met, you know, in very, um, very natural circumstances. In a sidewalk cafe, when I saw her, I, I saw, saw something special. It was um, just kind of a gut instinct, you know? And that's how the movies tell us we should find our partners, by bumping into them at a sidewalk cafe and suddenly knowing that they're the one. The overwhelming cultural message is that love should come to us instead of us searching for it. We want to trust that when the time is right, romance will just happen. Online dating gives us help to find love, and it's exactly the help we don't want to admit we might need. That's why it makes us so uncomfortable. And yet, if online dating is so contrary to our ideals, why do people do it? I think it's because most people want to meet that special someone by a certain point in their life. In essence, most people have a sort of life timeline. There are certain milestones that most of us live by, markers that tell us if we're on the right track or not. At age 16, we get our driver's license. At age 18, we graduate from high school. And usually between our 20s and 30s, we expect that we'll find a partner, start settling down, and maybe have kids. But what if things don't happen that way? What if we get into our 20s and 30s and realize we still haven't found someone we could spend the rest of our lives with? That's right. I feel like the older we get, the harder it is to be idealistic about bumping into that special someone. That's when it becomes more appealing to start looking for love ourselves instead of waiting for it to find us. Online dating helps us look. Regardless of what our fantasies of falling in love might be, we humans are actually very flexible. We want spontaneity, instant chemistry, and love at first sight, but when it comes down to it, we're willing to compromise. In fact, that's exactly what my dad told me. I resisted it for a long time because I felt it was um, too, too desperate, but um, I, I realized that it's just it, it's something new in, the, in, in our world, and it's, um, I, I think, you know, I got over that idea that it was people that were desperate. I think it's just it, it's just a new way of socializing. At the end of all this, I realize that online dating is more than just my dad and brother being desperate. For many of us, our ideal of how we should find love is just that, idealistic. And even though we know it's unrealistic and may never come true, we still hang on to the idea that it will that the magic moment might just happen to us. We will always hold a tender place in our hearts for the stories of lovers swept into each other's lives by a fateful once upon a time. In the meantime, what really matters to us is the happily ever after. 
Ultimately, we hold falling in love higher than the means we use to find it. We'll conclude with the words of Estella and Andrash. It doesn't sound as sexy as just, you know, walking around somewhere and bumping into the love of your life, but, you know, that still happens anyway, regardless of how you first meet. Yeah. Totally agree with that. Christina Ho, Danielle Spohr, and Lily Kornbluth are undergraduates at Stanford. In the Western tradition, men have written the majority of love poetry. Usually, though, it is the women in the poems who are the great teachers of love. Tom Freeland reads two such poems. This is I Knew a Woman by Theodore Rethke. I knew a woman, lovely in her bones. When small birds sighed, she would sigh back at them. Ah, when she moved, she moved more ways than one. The shapes a bright container can contain. Of her choice virtues only gods could speak, or English poets who grew up on Greek. I'd have them sing in chorus, cheek to cheek. How well her wishes went. She stroked my chin. She taught me turn and counter-turn and stand. She taught me touch that undulant white skin. I nibbled meekly from her proffered hand. She was the sickle, I, poor I, the rake, coming behind her for her pretty sake. But what prodigious mowing we did make. Love likes a gander and adores a goose. Her full lips pursed, the errant note to seize. She played it quick, she played it light and loose. My eyes, they dazzled at her flowing knees. Her several parts could keep a pure repose, or one hip quiver with a mobile nose. She moved in circles, and those circles moved. Let seed be grass, and grass turn into hay. I'm martyr to emotion not my own. What's freedom for? To know eternity. I swear she cast a shadow white as stone. But who would count eternity in days? These old bones live to learn her wanton ways. I measure time by how a body sways. This is Love One Another by Khalil Gibran. Love one another, but make not a bond of love. Let it rather be a moving sea between the shores of your souls. Fill each other's cup, but drink not from one cup. Give one another of your bread, but eat not from the same loaf. Sing and dance together and be joyous, but let each one of you be alone, even as the strings of a lute are alone, though they quiver with the same music. Give your hearts, but not into each other's keeping, 
for only the hand of life can contain your hearts and stand together yet not too near together for the pillars of the temple stand apart and the oak tree and the cypress grow not in each other's shadow Today's program was produced by Jonah Willengans, Bonnie Swift, and myself, Rachel Hamburg. It was engineered by Bonnie Swift and Charlie Mintz. Thanks to all of the folks on White Plaza who recorded their love stories, and to Christina Ho, Danielle Spohr, and Lily Kornbluth for their audio essay. Thank you as well to Elizabeth Bradfield and Tom Freeland for coming in to record poetry. Original music for the show was arranged and performed by Matt Anderson, Side by Side, and Talisman. For their generous financial support, we'd like to thank the Stanford Institute for Creativity in the Arts, Stanford's Oral Communication Program, and the Hume Writing Center. KZSU would like to thank the law offices of Fenwick and West for their continued underwriting. Remember that you can find a podcast of this and every episode of the Stanford Storytelling Project on Stanford iTunes and on our website, storytelling.stanford.edu. On this week's podcast, we will include all of the stories that we collected on White Plaza last week. Tune in next week, and we'll hear stories about remaking your life. For the Stanford Storytelling Project, I'm Rachel Hamburg. Thanks for listening, and happy Valentine's Day. Tom Freeland reads our final poem, originally written by, who else? Shakespeare. This is Sonnet 138 by William Shakespeare. When my love swears that she is made of truth, I do believe her though I know she lies, that she might think me some untutored youth, unlearned in the world's false subtleties. Thus vainly thinking that she thinks me young, although she knows my days are past the best, simply I credit her false speaking tongue. On both sides thus is simple truth suppressed. But wherefore says she not she is unjust? And wherefore say not I that I am old? O oh, love's best habit is in seeming trust, And age in love loves not to have years told. Therefore I lie with her, and she with me, And in our faults by lies we flattered be. Sometimes in our lives we all have pain, we all have sorrow, but if we are wise, we know that there's always tomorrow. I'm gonna need somebody to lean on. I'm gonna need somebody to lean on. I'm gonna need somebody to lean on. Lean on me. You're not strong, and I'll be your friend. I'll help you carry on, for it won't be long till I'm gonna need somebody to lean on. Please swallow your pride. If I have things, you need to borrow. No one can be
Carry on. 